This morning, we are continuing in our series and through Paul's letters. And uh, we are coming to the end. We are, are, uh, are this fall going to jump off into a new series and just not next week, but the week after. Uh, we're going to jump into a new series, walking through Exodus, uh, trying to, to look and see who, who God is and God being passionate about his glory, especially through the book of Exodus. And so I'm looking forward to that. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. And, and as Pastor Stephen mentioned, uh, fall is, is, is here. It's, a, it's, it's school started this week for many of you. Uh, some of you I know start this week and, and even some more next week. Uh, but, but fall has arrived. Football is on Friday nights, and uh, it's time to kick off our fall ministries here at the church. And as Pastor Stephen mentioned, not this coming Wednesday, but, but the Wednesday following that, September 6th, we'll kick off our Wednesday night activities here uh, with, a, with a celebration that night with inflatables uh, out in the parking lot for the children and, and our men's and women's Bible study, our youth group, all of those things will kick off. On that, on that day, we also kick off our Sunday school classes that next week. Uh, that Sunday morning, we'll move our children up to their new Sunday school classes and, uh, and have some new classes that begin for everyone. Uh, we also start that morning with a pancake breakfast, and so we hope that you can come back and join us for a pancake breakfast that day, and our series in Exodus will kick off that day as well. And as he mentioned, there's uh, several other things happening as well, a baby dedication that's happening uh, at the end of September, a baptism service coming up first part of October. So lots of things happening as we kick off our, 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 our fall ministries. Today, we, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're back in Paul's letters. We, we walked through Acts together for a long time, and then we decided to take that knowledge that we had of Paul and his missionary journeys and what he had done and where he had gone and turn that into this series, walking through his letters. What we've tried to do, what I've tried to do, is do quick surveys over Paul's letters so that you can have an idea of, of what he wrote, who he wrote to, and what his basic, basic theme, his main thought was in each of those letters. And so we've, we've tried to do them fairly quickly. We've, we've taken uh, two or three, uh, sometimes four weeks to look at, at each letter. And today, as we get towards the end of this series, today I've decided to take two whole letters and try to force them into one week. So this is really going to be a quick survey to help us to understand, to help us to try to understand some of Paul's letters. We've walked through the letters to the churches. He wrote, he wrote first to Galatians, uh, to the Galatian church about circumcision. He wrote to the, to the Thessalonians, a couple of letters that we have uh, in the canon. He wrote a couple of letters to the Corinthian church to help them deal with specific problems that they were having at that time. Uh, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome because he was hoping to head through Rome to gain some support as he, as he went on another missionary journey uh, to Spain was his goal. And so he wrote a letter to Rome, and then he got arrested. He was spent several years in prison. He was taken uh, under lock and key to Rome. Uh, that was not the way he had intended to go, but he, he did end up in Rome under lock and key, and he was under house arrest while he was there. And so then, while he was under house arrest in Rome, he wrote what we call the prison letters. He wrote to the church in Ephesus. He wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians. Uh, he wrote to a layperson in Colossae, Philemon. We looked at that letter. And then uh, last week, the last couple of weeks, we looked at the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi, the Philippian letter. All of those letters he wrote while he was in prison. 
The last three letters that we have in the Bible uh, that we're going to look at uh, today and next week, the last three letters are called his pastoral letters. These letters to Timothy and to Titus are not written to specific churches, though Timothy and Titus were in specific churches at that time, and and the letters were, were intended specifically for those men, but they were intended for the whole church to read. But these are letters, letters written not to churches, but instead to, to men who had been very inf- important to Paul. They had served him well. Now we're ministering in churches. We're pastoring some churches that Paul had sent them to. And so these letters, these are called the pastoral letters because they're written to the pastors of these churches. Paul is, as I, is no longer, this is a, these letters are different than his prison letters because following the letter to the Philippians, if you remember in the last couple of weeks as we talked about that letter to the, to the church in Philippi, uh, he talks about how whether, whether he lives or dies, whatever happens in his court case, uh, he, he'll, be, he'll be grateful either way. Either he, he dies and gets to go to heaven and be with Jesus or he gets to live for their sake, he says in the letter. I'll, I'll live for your sake and that will be good too. He knows that it's almost time. The, the, the court case is about to happen. He's, 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 he has appealed to Caesar. And some, somewhere after, after that letter to the Philippians, before the letter to 1 Timothy, or, or the first letter to Timothy, uh, Paul is released from prison. And he has probably somewhere between three and four years uh, before he is rearrested and put back into prison uh, in Rome. And it's during that time that he travels again on, on a missionary journey. You remember in the book of Acts, he has three different missionary journeys that we looked at, circles kind of that he, that he made from Jerusalem around into different, planted different churches in different cities and would return back to Jerusalem. This is his fourth missionary journey, and we really don't know anything about it. We don't know the specifics about what this fourth missionary journey looked like. Some people say that when Paul was released from prison in Rome, he maybe did head on to Spain, as he had written to the church in, in Rome when he wrote the, the letter to the Romans, that he had, had hoped to get to Spain. Some people say he maybe did, in fact, go that way. We don't know for sure. We do know for sure that he headed back to the east, back to where he had been traveling in his original missionary journeys. We know that from the book of Titus, the letter of Titus, uh, that he did at least come back east because we know that he stayed in, in Crete and left Titus, or in, in uh, Crete, yeah, on the island of Crete and left Titus there. So we do know he came back. We also know, and, and I've mentioned this in the other letters, we also know that Paul several times in the midst of those letters wrote that he intended to come back. If you remember uh, the, the letter to Philemon, uh, the Philemon had a, had a slave Onesimus and, and uh, Paul had, had worked with Onesimus, sent Onesimus back with the letter to Philemon and said, I want you to accept him as a brother, Paul said, and I want you to prepare a place for me because I'm going to come and check on it. I'm going to come and see if you have, in fact, accepted him. So Paul already had made those plans. He'd made plans last week we saw in the, in the letter to the Philippians. He had made plans to go back to Philippi and to visit there again as well. So Paul had a desire had a desire to return back to many of those cities that he had planted churches in. He loved them, he wrote letters to them, he cared for them. And so I'm sure after his release from prison, he came back to some of those churches. What we do know, what we can, can piece together from these letters is that Paul uh, had, Timothy was with Paul 
when he was under house arrest in Rome. He was, was listed in those letters. In fact, he probably was, Timothy himself was probably writing many of the letters for Paul, and then Paul would take over at the very end and, and kind of sign off on his last greetings. Timothy was with Paul, and so when, when he's released from prison in Rome, Timothy and Paul together, it appears, travel back to the east and probably together land in Ephesus. And it's no surprise to us that Paul would go to Ephesus. It was a, a, a major seaport there. Paul loved the church in Ephesus. He had been there for three years previously. His, he had, had lots and lots of ministry in Ephesus, if you remember from when we talked about the Ephesian letter. And it's no surprise that he would, would head back to Ephesus. While he's there, while he's there, it's time for him to leave. And he sees that there's, there's things happening in the church in Ephesus that need direction and they need someone to lead the church in Ephesus. And Paul feels called to leave Ephesus. And so what he does is asks Timothy to stay in Ephesus to help lead the church for a time. And so Paul asks Timothy to stay here. I'm going to continue on. I want you to stay here, and I want you to, to help lead the church through these issues that it's going through. So he leaves. He probably takes Titus with him as he leaves Ephesus and heads on to other missionary journeys. We don't know if he immediately goes from Ephesus to the island of Crete, but sometime in the midst of that, he travels to the island of Crete and plants a number of churches on the island of Crete and, and comes to the end of his time on the island of Crete and, again, needs to leave someone there to help lead these early churches through their very beginning stages. And so he asks Titus, to stay on the island of Crete. He left Ephesus, leaving Timothy in Ephesus. He leaves Titus on the island of Crete and leaves Crete and continues to travel on until sometime, and again, we don't know where he was. We don't know when it was for sure. But somewhere he's in Macedonia, he tells us, and he writes these letters then from Macedonia, which is where the church of Philippi would have been. He was in one of those churches, in one of those places in Macedonia, and writes these two letters to his protégés, Timothy and Titus, men who he had left in churches for specific reasons to help lead those churches for a season. So he writes these two letters. They're very much alike. Much of what we read in one, we read in the other. He has specific instructions on how they're to lead these churches. So he leaves these men, Timothy and Titus. We don't know much. We don't know much about either of these men. Timothy, Timothy, we do know, came from the city of Lystra. Paul, remember, on his, on his very first missionary journey, went through the area of the Galatia area and through all those churches there. And one of those cities was Lystra. He met uh, Timothy there, we assume. And somehow, maybe even through Paul's ministry there, uh, Timothy comes to faith. Timothy had, had a, a, a Jewish mother, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, who had been teaching him from the Old Testament. And so God maybe had, had been planting seeds in him, maybe even had, had maybe brought him to faith before Paul gets there. But, but this faith begins to grow in Timothy. And he has this Jewish background, at least on his mother's side. His father is Greek. And so one of the things that happens that Paul does immediately when, when Timothy comes to faith he has him circumcised because of his 
because of his Jewish background, in order to give him uh, more of a of an ministry opportunity with the Jews, he has him circumcised. And then Paul takes him from Lystra, and he begins to travel with Paul. He's mentioned several times in the book of Acts as a traveling companion to Paul, and we can see in his letters, in Paul's letters to those churches, that Timothy is often with him, and as I mentioned, often helps him to write some of those letters. He becomes a trusted messenger for Paul as well that we see. Timothy is young. We don't know exactly how old he is early on, but Paul, Paul reminds him uh, to, to, to not let his youth hinder him. Don't let his youth hinder his message, but to be strong and to, and to use the gifts that God has given to him. Remember, he tells him, when the elders laid their hands on you, he says, re, re, to fight the good fight. He gives them all kinds of instructions. Paul's like a father to Timothy. In fact, one of the instructions that he gives him is, is it might help you sleep at night if you were to drink a little bit of wine for your stomach before you go to sleep at night. Paul gives Timothy all kinds of advice to try to help him through both the specific ministry that he gives him, but also through life. Titus, we don't know as much about, but again, Titus probably, Paul probably met Titus early on in that first missionary journey, if not even before that first missionary journey. He too uh, is mentioned in in the very first book, to to the, the very first letter to the Galatians, and so we know that Paul uh, had ministry with Titus from the very beginning. Uh, he, he was not, he had no Jewish background. Titus had no Jewish background. And so uh, Paul, as Titus comes to faith, does not circumcise Titus or does not have him circumcised, uh, which is the diff- one of the differences between Timothy and Titus. And Paul talks about that in that letter to the Galatians. If you remember, the letter to the Galatians is about the specific issue of Gentile circumcision, whether they need to or don't need to be circumcised. And so uh, Paul early on says, says, Timothy, I did need him to be circumcised. Titus, I didn't. And yet both of these men, he holds up as leaders in the church. Titus is, again, a trusted messenger for Paul. If you remember in the letters to the Corinthians, uh, there were some specific issues that were happening in the church in Corinth, and Paul would write a letter, and, and it wasn't always received well. We have two letters that Paul writes to Corinth, but there was probably about at least five letters in the midst of that that we can piece together from these, from these different letters. So a, a letter would be sent, and it wasn't, it wasn't received well. The people of Corinth were, were upset. Paul, even, in fact, even had a, had a visit where he came after he had written one of the letters to visit with the people of Corinth and wasn't well received. And so Paul would, would, would go back typically to Ephesus, and he would then write this letter, and he would send it with Titus. Titus was his messenger. And there's a time, if you remember in that timeline, uh, Paul wants to, to go to Corinth, but he's not sure that he'll be accepted when he gets there. He's not sure that the church there is going to welcome him with open arms. And so he takes the long route around in his journey to get to Corinth because he's waiting for Titus to come and give a report about the letter that he sent and how it's being received by the Corinthians. Titus does finally catch up with Paul on that journey, and Titus gives him the report that they have, have heard his letter, that they've responded to it, and in fact, they've, they've repented, and Paul is welcome to come back to Corinth. Titus is the messenger that helps with that. And so Paul sends Timothy, or leaves Timothy in Ephesus. He leaves Titus 
uh, on the island of Crete. And then later, before he's rearrested back in Rome, he writes these letters to Timothy and Titus. He, go, he gives instructions to each of them, similar instructions in each letter to them. He wants them to, to know how they can help the churches, both churches, come against false teachers. There were several false teachings that were happening in those churches that Paul gives, he gives some direct instruction on how they are to, to combat that, how they're to help to come against those false teachers. He also gives them instructions on how they're to identify leaders for those bodies of believers, how they're to care for the, for the body, how they're to care for the different congregants that they have in their churches. And he gives both of them specific instructions, both Timothy and Titus, specific instructions on how they're to fight the fight of faith, how they're to continue on in the midst of their battle through the fight of faith. And so we're not going to have time, obviously, this morning as we look at these two books to really look at every passage. We're not going to have time to, to flow through the whole books. And, and, and as I was trying to piece together, how can we best look at this first letter to Timothy and the letter to Titus in, in one Sunday morning, uh, I let Paul lead me in my preparations for this. There's, there's a unique thing that Paul does in these, these three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Five times in these three letters, Paul uses this statement. He says, this saying or the saying is trustworthy, he says five different times as he writes these letters, telling them, this is important. I want you to listen to this. If you don't remember the other things that are written in this book, listen to this. This saying is trustworthy, Paul says. He says it three times in 1 Timothy. He says it again in Titus. He says it also in the 2 Timothy letter. And so what I'm going to do today, because I think every time he does this, I think it gives us a picture of some of the main points that Paul wants Timothy and Titus to know. So what we're going to do today is look at those, those sayings in this first letter to Timothy and the letter to Titus. What does Paul say is important? What does Paul say is trustworthy? So we're going to try to run through them pretty quickly. We're in, we're in 1 Timothy. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 991 is where we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Um, Paul, Paul says several times to these guys, this saying is trustworthy. And the first place that we find that is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance, Paul says. So let's figure it out. What does Paul say is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance? Let's back up a little bit and start in verse 12 of chapter 1. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly, I was a blasphemer, a prosecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorant, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
What is it that Paul tells us is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance? What is it that Paul says, listen to this, this is what's important. He says this, Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul, in all of his letters, never strays far from our sin. He never strays far from our sin. Paul never gets away from sin. In fact, here, in this letter to Timothy, he, he reminds Timothy of his own sin. Paul, Paul says, I was the foremost of sinners. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent. I was the worst of the worst. My sin was huge, Paul says. My sin was great. Paul never, never, ever gets away from sin. He remembers his own sin. He doesn't trumpet it as something great to be modeled after, but he fully and wholeheartedly declares it to say my sin was huge and God's grace is more. Jesus comes to save sinners. We cannot, we cannot understand the gospel. We cannot understand the truth of the redemption that we have through Jesus if we do not see and understand and know our own sin. We cannot appreciate our redemption if we do not know our sin. So we have to be aware of our sin, and I think Paul is reminding Timothy of that. Jesus came to save sinners, but he doesn't just say it that way. Paul says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Jesus, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul understands his sin, he sees his sin, he knows his sin, but it's more important than his sin is that Jesus saves Jesus saves. Paul doesn't shy away from his sin, but he also never shies away from Jesus and the redemption that he brings, the finished work of Christ. Jesus gives the mercy, he tells us here. Jesus is the one that displays patience. Jesus is the one that gives eternal life. Jesus saves sinners. Paul doesn't run away from his sin, but Paul never runs away from Jesus. It's all about Jesus to Paul. Jesus saves sinners. I was the foremost, he says. But Jesus does it so that, in verse 16, he might display his perfect patience. And then in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul doesn't shy away from his sin. He never forgets Jesus because he knows that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners for the glory of God. For the glory of God. So that the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, would be the honor and the glory forever and ever He saved me the foremost, Paul says, so that Jesus Christ might be displayed, so that his perfect patience might be displayed. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners so that God might be seen and his plan of redemption might be seen. It's not about us, Paul is saying. It's not even about me, Paul is saying. It's all about God and his glory. 
one of the lessons he wants Timothy to know, one of the trustworthy sayings that he wants Timothy to know is that Christ Jesus came to redeem sinners for the glory of God. He goes on, if you want to flip a page over, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he gives us another example of a saying that's trustworthy. He says in chapter 3, and it's just starting right there in verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, if he, desi- he desires a noble task, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, be able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household where? You, you see it there. You can follow along. Paul, in the letters to Timothy and Titus, he gives guidance. He gives help for them to identify leaders in the church. Because Paul, once as he gives guidance to, the, to these pastors, to Timothy and to Titus as their leaders in the church, he wants them to know how to, how to worship and how to pray. That's what you see in chapter 2 of, of his first letter to Timothy there. But he also gives them specific qualifications for leadership. One of the things that we saw over and over in his letters to the churches, to, to the Galatians, the Thessalonians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, over and over, Paul talks about how believers in Jesus Christ, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they are different than they were before. They're different than the world. Believers are different. He talks about it in lots of different ways, that, that, they, that you take off the old man and put on the new man, that you've moved from death to life. He talks about it in a number of different ways, but he says when you know Jesus, when the Spirit is at work in you, you are different than everyone else. Believers are different than unbelievers. And the leaders, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the believers they absolutely should represent that truth, that believers are different, that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. And so he begins to give specific lists, specific qualifications that he believes the leaders of the church should follow. The leaders should be examples. The leaders should be the ones that that lead the believers, in this example of being a new creation. One of the phrases that I use often is that believers, as believers, we're called to tell the truth about God. This passage here, if you follow down just a little bit, that this is where I, I think this comes from. In Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul is talking Timothy is given this list of instructions on how the leaders of the church are to look, that they should represent this truth, that the church is different. And then he says this, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know that one ought, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. He says, this is how you're supposed to act. All these, this list that he just gave in chapter 3, this is how you're supposed to act. This is what you're supposed to be. He says, I want you to know this because because this is how you ought to behave if you're in the household of God, if you're a part of the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And then he goes on 
in verse 16. This is how you're to behave. Then he says in verse 16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, that he is manifested in the flesh, that he was vindicated by the Spirit, that he was seen by angels, that he was proclaimed by the nations, that he believed on in the world, and he was taken up into glory. Paul says, we're to tell the truth about God. That these things that are true about Jesus, that he manifested in the flesh, he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed by the nation, believed in the world, taken into glory. And now, Paul tells us, he is at work in you. Remember the mystery of the gospel in Colossians chapter 1? Mystery of the gospel is Christ in us, our hope and glory. We're to tell the truth about Jesus, Paul says to Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. You're different than everyone else. He says it to Timothy again in chapter 4. Look there real quickly. I'm running out of time today. In verse, chapter 4, he says it in, in, specifically in verse 9. Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. But the whole passage here I'd, I'd like you to look at, he starts in verse 6, I think, of chapter 4. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you followed, having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While for bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy, deserving full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior to all people, especially of those who believe. Command, teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Set the example, set a believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift that you have, which you've been given by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that you may, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul tells Timothy, I think in this passage, the saying that's trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance is that living the Christian life, leading the church, pastoring the church, I think he is saying, but living the Christian life is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be work. Look at this passage we just read. Look at these words. So that starts in verse 7. It says, train yourself for godliness. In verse 10, he says, toil and strive. In verse 11, he says, command and teach. In verse 12, he says, set the believers an example. In verse 13, he says, devote. He says, do not neglect, practice, immerse, keep a close watch, persist. All of these words, all of these words are to remind Timothy that as you walk through this journey of faith, as you lead this church in Ephesus, as you help them to combat the, the teachings that are coming against them, all of those things, it's hard work. It's not easy. I know you're young, Timothy, but this task that's been given to you, not just as the pastor of the church, but as a believer, the task that we have been given is hard work. It's hard work. And in fact, he references it here by saying that, that we work, we, we train our bodies. We're intentional about the ways that we train our bodies. But this work is even more different than that. Godliness has value for every day, he says. So he tells them, you're going to toil. It's going to be strife for you. 
But he says, you have to be trained. You have to train your doctrine, he says. You have to train your tongue to speak correctly. You have to train your heart to love others in the way that God has called us to do that. You have to train your mind to read the scripture. You have to to train your heart to set your hope on Jesus. You have to train your spirit to have the, the, the right kind of spirit in your interactions with others. You have to work hard. Paul says to Timothy, it's going to be work. And you have to work hard. And he says it this way in verse 10. This saying is trustworthy. We're going to toil and strife in verse 10 because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Why do we work hard? Why do we toil and strife? Because our hope is in the living God. Our hope is in the living God. He always turns it back to Jesus. We don't have a ton of time, but look at Titus. There's this one passage in Titus I want you to look at, starting in chapter 2. Titus, the letter to Titus is much the same. Titus, again, Timothy was in Ephesus. Titus is, in, is on the island of Crete. He's, he's been left there. False teachers are, are coming to the churches in Crete, uh, especially with a Jewish background, leading them in, in distraction. Um, and, and Cretans have their own innate issues. They, to be a Cretan is to be a deceiver. To be a Cretan is to be a liar. Uh, Cretans were, were idolized for their ability uh, to pull the wool over people's eyes, to con others. Lying was a virtue for the people of Crete. And so Titus is there, and, and, and Timothy is giving Titus instructions on, on again, how they are to, to live lives as examples of Jesus, how they're to take off the old self and put on the new self. And part of that, again, is identifying leaders who exemplify and are shaped by the gospel. So he gives a list of instructions there on how he is, how he is to find overseers and elders who are to lead the church. And then at the end of that, in, in chapter 2, well, let's, let's start in chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start there. Uh, he, he goes on to, again, say this thing is trustworthy, he says in chapter 3, verse 8. Um, but let's look at the passage of where he says that. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them, he says, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling and be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, we were disobedient, led astray, slaves to various pleasure, passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Then in verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable, they're worthless. As a person who stirs up division after warning him once or twice, then have nothing more to do with him. Paul tells Titus here the same things. The same things that he just said to Timothy. He sums it up in a little different way to the letter in Titus, but he says the same thing. He says, remember 
Remember our sin. Remember that you were lost. The way he says it here, the way Paul says it to, to Titus, he says, we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were slaves to passions and to pleasures. We had malice and envy. We had hatred for others. We were sinners. We were lost. Our old way, our old way, we were lost. But God, goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. But God. He says it this way, God saved us. God washed us. God regenerates and renews us. God justifies us. God brings us into his family. God makes us heirs with Jesus and God gives us eternal life. He says to Titus, remember the gospel. You were a sinner. You were foolish and disobedient. You were a slave to your own passion. You were lost, but God saves, washes, renews, regenerates, justifies, brings you into his family and gives you eternal life. Remember the gospel, he says. And then in this same passage, he says, remember who you were, Remember what God has done for you. And then he says, it's not through your works, he said in verse 5. He saved us, not because of the works that's done for us. Not, not because of what we have done. But then, says, because of the mercy, we work. Your works don't save you, but because of this gospel that's at work in you, because of the mercies that God has applied to you, we now work. I want you to be careful to devote yourselves to good works, he says. It's going to be hard. That's what he said to Timothy. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be hard works. But because of God's mercy in us, we do that. That's the way we live. That's the calling that we've been given so that we might point to God, so that his glory might be seen in and through us. The worship team is going to come this morning and, and help us to close the service today. He writes these letters, Paul writes these letters to Timothy and Titus and tells them that the gospel is the most important thing. That they're going to be called to work and to work hard as they lead these churches and as they live this Christian faith. But really it's all about Jesus. We don't do it to build up the name of Timothy. We don't do it to build up the name of Titus. We don't do it to build up the name of Paul. He says, it's about Jesus. It's about his glory and the glory of the gospel. Sometime after Paul writes these letters, we'll see this next week, but Paul is arrested again, taken to Rome, and thrown in prison for what is the last time. And while he's there, he writes one more letter, at least that we have. One more letter, he writes to Timothy again and gives him the very last things that we know from Paul. Next week, we'll look at that. Stand with me this morning as we sing together, being reminded of the work that Paul has called us to. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We 
passage that we just looked at. Paul says this, for the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming this morning.